let's begin with our scripture, Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, he, meaning Jesus, entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but few things are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word, and thank you for um, opening it up to us this morning through your Holy Spirit, and we ask that your spirit will plant it deep in our hearts um, into good soil so that it will take root grow and bear fruit, not just for our own lives, but for our neighborhoods, for those we love, for the people around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I really love this scripture nine years ago, almost to the Sunday. It was my first sermon as pastor here. I'd preached before, but it was my first sermon as pastor, and I preached on this this text. And one I mean, I love this about every text, but what I love about this scripture is that you can, there's always something to talk about here that's new and um, wonderful. Uh, But we're also in a series, and uh, the series is about Christian communities throughout history, uh, especially ones that have done something worth emulating, or at least remembering. Um, But I do want to remind us that um, it's also sometimes helpful to see where Christian communities didn't get it 100% right. Um, So I'm still this morning going to give you a positive example of what Christians have been doing. Um, But I'm also going to give you some examples of where they may have taken the wrong turn. And we have been going chronologically, but I'm going to jump um, because what's really driving this is, is the Mary and Martha story. Um, but there is a, there's a good story to go along with this in Christian history, and it was towards the end of the last century, towards the end of the 20th century in Brazil. Um, you may know Latin America is mainly Roman Catholic, or, or at least traditionally was Roman Catholic. And this created a situation where any, if any religion is in one place for a long time, it becomes kind of entrenched, um, loses its edge, uh, becomes pretty cozy to power. And that was starting to happen with Catholicism, especially in Brazil. And some people within Catholicism started waking up to this and saying, hang on a second, there's resources within our own faith to say that maybe we have gone the wrong way here in this country and we need to reform. So this is within Catholicism, they're having a sort of reformation, and it was um, under the title Liberation Theology. Liberation Theology is still around. It's, it's, I'm not mainly going to talk about that this morning. It's taken a lot of directions. It's still alive and well, and it's still an important part of 
Christian thinking, both with Catholics and Protestants. But it, but it was sort of birthed there in Latin America. And in Brazil, it took the form of something that's called um, base communities, Catholic base communities. And these were beginning to replace churches, in fact. So what was happening is, is it was essentially like community organizing, if you're familiar with community organizing at all. So a group of people would get together and they would talk about the issues that are facing them and then they would organize to deal with it. So in some small towns, they were organizing to deal with water issues or street lights for safety at night or um, equal pay or, or, or even living wages and that, that kind of thing. So that, these groups were starting to form and what was exciting at the time was saying like, look, our faith is practical. Our faith has something to do with real life. It's not just for Sundays and it's not just for our souls and our hearts. So that was, that was emerging and then it got almost completely wiped out. Because what happened was is Pentecostalism came into Brazil and Pentecostalism was wildly popular. And it's no secret as to why um, lots of people have asked, you know, why, why, aren't, why aren't you Catholic anymore? And um, a lot of people would say, well, I just miss praying. I wanted to pray. I miss the Bible. I miss the bread and the cup. So Pentecostalism swept in. And what was so odd about this movement um, becoming so popular is that these preachers would come into these poor towns trying to sort of, you know, have a basic quality standard of life, they would come into these poor towns and the preachers would say, the more you give me money, uh, the richer and more prosperous you're going to be. And so these preachers would become wildly wealthy, going from village to village and basically draining all their surplus. And yet it was extremely popular. Um, they were filling stadiums and profoundly, at the highest levels, profoundly corrupt. At the highest levels, not every level, but at the highest ones. Strange, strange things going on with Christianity. On the one hand, a, a form of Christianity that almost doesn't even look like Christianity, and the other hand, a form of Christianity that was robbing people. That's where the church took some wrong turns. Again, I'm going to tell you a better story towards the end, but uh, in between, let's talk a little bit about Mary and Martha and see if we can figure out what is going on in that situation and apply it to our situation here. Um, Martha, does anyone identify with Martha? I got a lot of work to do. I need some help. Why won't she help me? <laughs> Dave's just no unabashedly raising his hand. I want people to help me. Okay, yeah, I think we all identify with Martha. Um, and there was a lot of work to do. It's really important to keep this in mind. Uh, so Jesus has started a movement, and it's not just the 12. Uh, there's over 100 disciples following him. That's 100 people who need to eat. That's 100 people who need somewhere to sleep. That's 100 people who need to go to the bathroom. That's 100 people who got a lot of issues, okay? And so um, Mary and Martha, and they live with their brother Lazarus. They live on the northern, a, a little town on a northern hill, uh, north of Jerusalem. 
And uh, it's sort of like a, a hub for the Jesus movement is, is right there. And um, Martha's, Martha, we don't know this for sure, but it looks like Martha might have been in charge of that whole operation, which was huge, a huge operation, especially for a group of people who have very little in terms of resources. So there is a ton of work for Martha to do. And Jesus is not saying it's not important. That's one misconception here. Jesus is not saying that Martha's work is not important. What he is concerned about is Martha herself. And we get that in the way he responds to her. You know, um, Luke even writes that he says her name twice, Martha, Martha. I really love that, Martha, Martha. And then he, he, says, he says, you're anxious and you're troubled by the many things. So just, you know... Hold on to that for a second. Are you anxious and troubled? And is it because there are many things? I know that's true for me. You know, I felt considerable less anxiety and trouble when I was on vacation. And it's because they weren't as many things. <laughs> you know, I, I, I didn't have cell service. So I couldn't read about the many things to be anxious and troubled about. I'm scrolling. That's it. I'm scrolling. Um, I wasn't able to do that, you know, I was, you know, I'd, I'd get the Coleman stove out and make the coffee, and then my anxiety's gone. I, that was the one thing I had to worry about, and I did it, and now I'm done, and I can sit and just drink my coffee. Um, when there are many things, we become anxious, we become troubled, and he's worried about her. So all the stuff she does matters, but he's worried about her. And he points to Mary as an example. Martha sees Mary as the problem. Jesus says, Mary is the example for you. Now, here's another misconception we have about Mary and Martha is that Mary is this sort of like mystic contemplative who never does anything and that that's what we're all supposed to be like. And Martha is the busy one and we're not supposed to be like Martha. This is wrong as well. This is incorrect. Because what is, what is Mary doing? Mary is not just quietly contemplating and like, you know, in like a mystic trance. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning his teachings. Well, his teachings are no secret. Interestingly, this short little story comes between two of the most famous things that Jesus teaches. The one before is the Good Samaritan. The one after is the Lord's Prayer. The Good Samaritan is about how to love your neighbor. The Lord's Prayer is about how to love God. It's really simple. There's no secret to what Jesus teaches, even though we have to learn it and learn it our whole long lives, but he wants us to love other people and love God. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. It takes a lifetime of learning how to do that. But that's what, that's what Mary's up to. Mary is learning how to love people, how to love the neighbor, and how to love God. In the Good Samaritan story, that's nothing simple about that. In the Good Samaritan story, it's somebody that should not be loved very unclean. It's costly for the Samaritan to take care of the person who's beaten up by the side of the road. Costly to reputation, costs a bunch of money, um, costs a bunch of time. So it's not easy to love people, but that's what Jesus is teaching. So there's no reason why we should think that Mary is just off in a mystic trance and that she's the contemplative prayer one and Martha's the active whatever one. That's, that's not the contrast. The contrast is this, what matters most? 
What's the most important thing? We humans are really, really good at doing things. We're very good at building things. But we're not so good at knowing what the right thing to do is and how to do it well. So um, one thing that Sandy noticed a lot on our trip was the contrast between how ancient Puebloan people were very good at building things the right way and, and living in a way that they could flourish. So you're in the middle of a very arid area, essentially a desert, um, and they're farming on mesas and living generations and flourishing and thriving. And they're living in cliffs. They lived in cliffs. And, and they, I mean, they, they flourished in cliffs. And then you drive into Cortez and see a pile of tires and you're, think, you're like, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? Or all the mining that basically there's no fish in the bottom in the, in the canyons because of all the runoff from the mining. What are we doing? You know, so we're really good at building things. We're really good at making things. It's not about whether or not you are active or not. It's about do you know what the most important thing is? Do I know what the most important thing is? Mary knew what the most important thing was. And what is the most important thing? It is to sit at the feet of Jesus and to learn the way of discipleship. How do you follow Jesus? How do you love your neighbors? How do you love God? No one said that this was easy. We have to practice, practice, and learn our whole long lives. One of the implications, I think, of what we're talking about here is what I'll just call the way of ignorance. Um, that's a phrase that comes from the poet T.S. Eliot, and it essentially refers to humility as a way of life. Just not knowing, and just admitting that we don't know and that we're always learning. Um, sometimes we think of ignorance as a temporary step on the way to where we're going, right? So think about students in school, like, you know, you. You know, so, so Ben's a teacher, some of you others are teachers, and in your whole, you, Kimberly's a teacher, uh, lots of your teachers. So your whole point is to get someone from ignorance to knowledge. Like by the end of the year, you gotta know this kind of stuff. But Jesus sort of flips it, right? Jesus says, I want you to be more ignorant like Mary. I want you to be a lifelong learner. I want you to be someone who's always understanding that you don't know and you need to learn. Um, Eliot calls it the way of ignorance because he's writing during wartime, both World War I and World War II. And he looks around and he sees what our certainty has accomplished in these two world wars. And he says, maybe our certainty isn't as good as we think it is. Maybe instead we should focus on the way of ignorance. Why? Because, because what happens is, is we develop something like a, a pattern for the way the world is. Or, you know, sometimes we might call this a worldview or whatever. And I apologize if I've ranted about this before, but I keep seeing it over and over again, and I feel like it needs repeating. But we have, we have some sort of way the world works, and then we, like, drop it on the world, and then we make the world fit that. And then what happens is, is we're never shocked, we're never surprised, and we never see outside of it. If we had the way of ignorance, then we would be able to be shocked and surprised by reality. And to me, this is the beauty of Christianity. 
is that Christianity is one of the few things that allows us to see reality for what it is instead of imposing a worldview. So I don't think there's a Christian worldview. I don't like the idea of a Christian worldview. I think we're just Christians who are capable of accepting reality because that's what the incarnation is, God accepting all of reality in Jesus Christ. That's literally what the incarnation is. Our patterns, our worldviews, our ideas about the world, they're just too small. Reality is so much bigger. And the reason we get worried and troubled, like Martha got worried and troubled, is because she had her plan for the way things go and reality was fighting back. Reality was saying, no, it's actually bigger. And the only way to navigate this world without worry constantly, without trouble constantly, is to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn the way of love. So think about what makes you anxious and troubled. What are the things that make you troubled and anxious? Jesus does not come to us and condemn us for these things. He's not mad at us for feeling this way. He comes to us, says our name twice out of compassion, and says, don't focus on the things that aren't going to last. Focus on the thing that's going to last forever. The essential thing, the most important thing which is sitting at my feet and learning how to be in this world. A disciple, a follower of Jesus, is not a professional Christian. It's not someone who knows tons of verses. It's not someone who can pray really, really well and beautifully. Um, it's also not someone who you know, can give up everything that they have and serve the poor and, and all this kind of stuff. A lifelong disciple of Jesus is someone who's constantly seeking to learn how to love others and how to love God. As the psalmist says, it's someone who wishes to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of their life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. So it's humility. If you find yourself anxious, if you find yourself troubled, return to the feet of Jesus. Go and, and, and seek his help. Seek his help through prayer. Seek his help through reading scripture. I have to do it at least once a day. Not because I'm pious, not, not because it's like, you know, there's some sort of holy practice, but like I feel my head getting scrambled. I feel the anxiety and the trouble. And I need the scriptures to sort of bend me back to the most important thing, the thing that matters most. I feel it every single time. As we learn from Jesus, we will have a transformed relationship with other people and with God. We will be open to the shocking and the new. There will be ways of community formed that we never thought could exist. We never thought we, we could imagine. And our hearts will grow strangely warmed and our hands will find good work to do. I told you I'd end with an example and this is, the, this is what I'll end on, this story. Um, the, uh, I, I'm, I found out about a small 
it, it's hard to use like when we say a small church pastor that's nothing compared to what was going on in brazil at the time so so this is a guy with all he had was a bible and a bike okay and he was a pastor and his job was to plant churches he was a pentecostal pastor who didn't know how to speak in tongues and never could so in himself he's a contradiction so he has a bike and a bible and he's going to the poorest villages in brazil and he goes and all he does is he goes he shows up and he preaches the gospel he says i want to tell you about how god revealed god's own self god came in the form of a poor man who was tortured and killed and then forgave his torturers and killers and lived forever and so he'd go and preach this message over and over again and and uh people in this in these villages would become converted and and they would have these lively vibrant holy ghost meetings and you know full of and and he was sort of had like sort of at a distance right because he just didn't have that experience um uh and but they, they'd build a little church and then something else would happen is the town economically would transform these would become thriving little villages and one of the reasons they became thriving was because honestly um the uh so it was a very traditional family where the father would work and wife would stay at home raise the kids and uh often what was going on was the father was spending all his money at the bar or he was spending all his money in in inappropriate ways and so the gospel comes in and the father husband says yeah maybe i won't do that anymore um maybe maybe i don't need to drink as much um so he'd go home spend time with his family these little family units would be put back together and uh and they had money to save and they could start new businesses and they could build uh build nicer homes uh they could build water systems where less people would get sick and these little villages would transform economically and spiritually and then the pastor would get on his bike and he'd go off to the next village and what i what i love about his story i don't i'm sorry i don't know his name um uh but what i love about his story and the, he's not the only one is it shows it shows how both those things can happen it shows how the experience of jesus can happen you know where we can feel our hearts warmed and it shows how a community can be transformed at a basic economic level um without all the things that were happening on the other side without losing all the other things um and and the way it comes is honestly the way of ignorance the way of sitting at Jesus's feet and just opening ourselves up to the way of Jesus in this world how do we live in this world you tell me Jesus i do not have it figured out just tell me how to live in this world we too will receive the better part the essential part the thing that lasts forever by sitting at the feet of Jesus and beholding the love of god amen father with your son jesus we come to you we come to you lead us in the way of ignorance lead us in the way of jesus in the way of love we pray in christ's name amen may the peace of christ go with you wherever he may send you 
May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go in peace.